Well, welcome everyone. And I just want to say to begin here, worship is so critical. And not just in a corporate setting like what we're in right now. But worship is so critical in your personal life. Because worship is what changes the atmosphere of warfare that surrounds you. And, you know, this series we've been talking about warfare, but as we were worshiping there, I just felt the Lord tell me to say a little something at the beginning, because many of you have come to me. We talk about intimacy with Jesus Christ. We talk about how that intimacy is the most important thing. That's how we move forward in our gifting. That's how we move forward in his will. We don't have to focus on his will. We don't have to focus on our gifting. We don't have to focus on, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? We just ha- he made it simple. We just have to focus on him. We have to focus on intimacy with him. And I've had many of you come to me and ask, so what, what does that mean to seek him intimately? You know, and, and it's not a difficult thing, but it's not an easy thing either. Because intimacy is not just reading your Bible. Well, I have a set amount of time a day. I'm going to give you the word, of, give, get, my, get your word in my brain, and I'm just going to absorb it and read it and learn something. So that's not intimacy. That can add to intimacy. Okay, that's a factor of. Because we need to ingest the word of God. The word of God promises to never return void, Right? So anything that has a promise with that kind of power, we, we've got to ingest. We want to get in us. But it's not just that. See, it's time that we spend in prayer. It's time that you spend laying before the altar of God how you feel about Him, your requests. He says, let your requests be made known unto me. So then it's also talking to Him, right? But you can't stop there. Because if those are the two things you do and that's all you do, then you're missing the very peace that prepares both of those things. And that's worship. That's what we did this morning. That's why you start out with worship. And we don't really think in our minds that, that worship is for our personal time, right? Right? Well, maybe I do my personal time at, at work and, you know, I'm in a little cubicle and I can't really worship because, you know, I'm right next. Well, I'm going to suggest if that's the case, maybe do your personal time a little bit different time. Maybe do it in your car <laughs> or at least prepare your heart in the car because you can't take worship out of the equation. Just like we can't for this. Do you know the atmosphere changes when we worship him? What is the one thing Satan can't stand? It's worship. Because it exudes the love that we have for Jesus Christ. And Satan doesn't understand that. He doesn't understand that love. So the very weapons of our warfare begin with this worship. And that's what the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me as we were worshiping here. And and I love, and, and and I know I know it's the same with the Father's heart. I love it when the kids come up here and worship. 
I mean, their worship is so pure. You know, when, they, when they're worshiping, now maybe, maybe not when they're in front of everybody and, you know, everybody's looking at me, but I watch sometimes when the kids worship and they push everything out of their mind. It's, it's I mean, as long as they're paying attention. <laughs> but they're focused on that. I love to see a child of God, a young person focused on Jesus Christ and worshiping him. But I'll tell you another one that I love because I, I don't know if you, many of you know my background. My background is a worship leader. I was a worship leader for, for almost 15 years in different, two different places. And, and in that time, that, that was my love. It is my love. They, they just won't let me sing with them. But, it, but it's still my love. It's my passion. I love it. Jeff Sellers and I were talking about that this morning. It's, it's a love in my heart. But the last place I was at, one of the things I loved was to hear Ethan worship. I, I, would, just, I would look for him every morning because they'd bring him down to the front row or the first couple of rows, and, and I'd look for him every, every Sunday because it, it just filled my heart with joy to watch him. Now, now, in that setting with all those people, I couldn't hear him. But see, in here, you hear him. I love that. I love that. When you hear him cry out, if you don't think he's worshiping, you're confused about what's going on in his head. He knows what's going on. I'll tell you, I, I, I get the joy, and I, I don't mean to go off on anything here, but I get the joy every Sunday morning. One, one of my greatest joys, aside from preaching, thank you. One of my greatest joys is during the 9 o'clock hour, when we have the, the Sunday morning small groups, I get to be with Ethan for an hour. <laughs> and this morning, it, I don't know if I was in a feisty mood or what, but, but we'll sit here and we'll watch, we'll watch like Bible story cartoons together. And, and this morning I just started messing with him. I don't know why I was doing it, but it, it, it became fun. He'd be watching the, you know, he's intently watching this, and you could tell he's concentrating. And and I just lean over and I, and I blow in his face, and he just kind of like that, and he ignored me. So a few seconds later, I blow again, and he looks at me. And it wasn't a I want to play look. It was okay. I know it's you. Okay, so so he just went back to watching. A few few seconds later. I did it again. Then he looked at me right away. And he said, okay, look, you're maybe not connecting with me, but I know it's you. And I'm trying to watch this. <laughs> so then a few, few seconds later go by, and, and I go, and he looks at me, and he goes, smack. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard, I about fell out of my chair. It was so funny because he connected with me. And I loved that. Do you know he connects in worship? We connect in worship. It said, if we don't cry out, the very rocks will cry out. Why? Because creation connects in worship. If you think it's just us, if you think it's just human beings that connect, you're wrong. Read the Word of God. It's everything. It's all of his creation. It says creation groans because he is not here and in control. But one day he will be. 
One day he will be in control and creation will be satisfied because they can cry out the very worship that they've been wanting to do. Not just us, but all of creation. So don't set your worship aside. If, if in your personal time, if it's not where you can shout out and sing out, change your location. Change your timing. Because worship also isn't just listening to music and thinking in your mind and singing the words in your mind. The power of worship, I mean, Jesus knows what you're saying in your mind. Don't get me wrong. But the enemy needs to know. The enemy needs to hear what you're declaring with your voice. See, James says that, that words have power in the spirit realm. Words have power over the enemy. So as you worship and you worship out loud and you're singing out loud, you are declaring to the enemy victory over the enemy. Victory that was already won by Jesus Christ, right? So I want to encourage you, do it. I, I, I sing in my car a lot of times. And if you ever pull alongside me when we're at a light and, and I'm like this, I can drive with my knees, so it's okay. All right? But you notice that every now and then, and I'll pull up next to somebody every now and then, and, and, and I'll just see them like this, and they're singing away. And, and if their hand's up, I'm going to assume they're singing to God. Maybe I've been wrong a few times, but, but I'll look over and I'll give them one of these. Why? Because worship is powerful. Worship out loud is powerful. It changes atmospheres. And if you don't think that the enemy is afraid of that, just pray for your eyes to be opened. Because he's in fear. He's in fear. He's nowhere in this place. He sits on the perimeter outside and, and looks in and it hurts his ears to hear this. He can't be that close to it because he hates it so much. So worship. Sorry, that was not my message. <laughs> Let us pray. No, I'm kidding. But please add that too, because that's what will bring the intimacy into your life. That is the intimacy with Jesus Christ. So we've been on this, um, this series for a few weeks now. And what I thought would be a, a single Sunday history is now I think we're in the fifth Sunday um, in the history. But we will finish this today. Even if we're here till four or five, and we will be, we will finish, I promise you. No, we won't be here that long. But I want to read a verse to you. And this verse caught my attention specifically in, and you don't need to pull this one up, because I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. Okay? And th this caught my attention because of how it's worded, how he took the Greek and he, it, in a way, it was expanded upon the meaning. Not The meaning wasn't expanded, but it gave more clarity as to what was being said here. So I want you to hear this. For although, and I'm not even going to tell you yet where it is. For although we live in the natural realm, we do not wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. 
We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. That was 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. If you missed that, I, I wrote it down to read it twice. I want to read it one more time. But I want you to concentrate on every word that I am saying here. Because it applies to the very warfare that we deal with every single day. There are power in these words. I want you to concentrate on this. Again, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says this. This is the Passion Translation. For although we live in the natural realm, we do not wage a military campaign or war employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. See, that phrase right there just hit me hard. Do you know people hide behind defenses? Do you know we hide behind defenses all the time? And even in a church, there are people that have defenses up. Why? Perhaps they've been hurt. Perhaps they've gone through some things that, that in reaching out they were hurt before. You know, you put your hand out to feed a dog, you get it bit, you're not going to put it out again, right? I know, I've actually done that. <laughs> and got it bit. So we put up defenses. We put up walls that make us feel okay with who we are. As long as we keep that pain away from us, then we don't have to deal with it. But see, that's, that's what it's saying here. That the very power of God and the spiritual weapons that we have break down, and it says here, effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow down in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such a dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. See, that last phrase there is the key. As soon as you choose complete obedience, you cannot have victory. You can't even have the process, by the way if you have not chosen obedience first. I remember this, this whole thing that God has brought me on the last couple of years. This dynamic change in my life. This, this amazing opening of the scriptures to my heart. 
It didn't just come on because I prayed for it to come on, which I did. I, I had been praying for years for intimacy with Christ, and he was bringing me to that place of intimacy. But there came a point where I could go no further until I did one thing. And I've told you before about this. He had been working on me for a year and a half. I'd been praying to be in full-time Christian work, where, where my whole focus, because I had a business that, that provided our finances, I, and, and I wanted to be in full-time Christian ministry so my whole focus could be God. You know, even in my workplace. So I'd been praying for that for years. And it came to a point where he said, get rid of it. But wow, I was comfortable with it. I was comfortable because I could control it. I could control the income that I had coming in. If I wanted to do something, I was in control. I remember when, again, I was worship leader. I went to the, the church. We wanted to get a new motif uh, a keyboard. $4,500, and, and, and they're like, no, but thanks for asking. <laughs> okay, but I could control that. So I raised a little money, put in money myself, and went and bought it myself. See, I loved that control. And with a business, you can, you can do those things, like it says, manipulate around. See, I could manipulate even what I did for God. When for a year and a half he was telling me, you want to go deeper with me, you've got to be obedient. I want you to get rid of the business. So finally, I heard him clearly. <laughs> and often we think we hear him and we hear in shades. But I heard him clearly and I did it. It was that act of obedience that opened the very doors of this intimacy possibility to me. So in your own life, as you're seeking God and you have just this swirling around you of you don't know how to control, you don't, know, you don't even know how to fight it, you don't know how to deal with it, but it's this swirling around you, just remember a simple act of obedience in seeking Him intimately opens those doors. It opens those doors to that victory. Right? In my case, it, it, it had to be that complete obedience. It had to be where, where I said, okay, Lord, because he, he, didn't, he didn't give me any other option. He, he said, in fact, sell all your equipment so you can't go back. He must have known I would have. <laughs> well, honey, we need some money. I could go do a, you know, refurb a bathroom or whatever. No, he wanted me to get rid of everything. Complete obedience. Where are you in your life? Has the Lord asked you to be obedient in something and perhaps you've ignored him? Or more times than not, you gave him just a little bit. I'll give you a little bit of obedience so I feel good about it. But see, what you have to understand is you're not hurting the Lord. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the very thing that you're asking for. If you're asking for intimacy with him, that is a special thing. To be best friends with the creator of the universe. Isn't that a crazy thought? As, as Brooke said and prayed at the end, the very hands that shed blood were the hands that created the stars, the heavens, created us. That very person says, I want to be your best friend. 
And see, the beautiful thing is he has the capacity to be best friends with all of us. It's not that I have a greater in with him than anybody else in here. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior, you have the same capacity as anyone else to have intimacy with him, to be that best friend. So it's available to you. But it requires the obedience. It requires complete obedience. So as you're looking in your life, you're evaluating this intimacy you're searching for, and and maybe it's just not happening. I'm going to suggest to you to be praying, Lord, what is it that I am supposed to be obedient in? See, because that's how it starts, is in obedience. That's that's what it says right there, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. So we're going to go through some of this warfare. And, and, and the reason, by the way, that I wanted to do so much history of this. I think it's important for a warrior to understand where the war came from. You know, we're to understand the wiles of the devil, understand the strategies of the devil. The only way you can understand the strategies of the enemy is to know how he operates. That's why we're going through this history. And if you haven't heard the the previous 20 weeks, (laughs) sorry, it's been three or four. If you haven't heard those, I suggest you pull them out and listen to them. Because understanding the very warfare and how it began gives us an understanding of the authority that he takes and why he can take it. You ever get asked, young people say this all the time, you ever get asked, from somebody who doesn't know the Lord, well, if God is so good, why would he let this happen? I mean, everybody, you hear that all the time. You see it on TV. That is probably one of the greatest questions that the world asks. Well, I'm not going to believe in a God that lets this happen. You know, that lets this person get killed or this person, you know, human trafficking or, or whatever the case may be. Any God that allows that to go on, I, I, can't, I can't believe in that kind of God. Well, see, as a Christian, you have an obligation to be able to answer that question. See, because you have a source of the answer. You have the Word of God, but you cannot begin to answer that question without understanding warfare. Understanding the very beginning of how Satan got his authority in the first place, because his authority was not given to him by God. And we went over that in the first week. His authority was given to him by Adam. But see, it happens in our daily lives as well. We give authority all the time to the enemy. Why? Because it's our authority to give. God has made us individuals. We have a divine choice that we can make in every instance. Right? We have these choices that we can make. That means we have the authority of that choice. But sometimes we give that authority over to somebody else. Right? And that's what we're going through in understanding how Satan got these authorities. So all throughout the Old Testament, and I won't go back and go through what we've already gone through, but all throughout the Old Testament, Satan has focused on stopping the coming Messiah. 
Remember we went over in Genesis chapter 3 where was the first prophesied moment, and this was right in the garden, where a Messiah was prophesied. Okay, and again, I won't go back through that. But, but so ever since, you know, Satan knew that there was a Messiah coming. He knew that it had to come through man. And so he began to try to thwart what God was doing. All throughout the Old Testament, his main goal was to stop the Messiah from coming. Why? Because it was that Messiah that was going to crush his head. It was only that Messiah that had the authority to do, prophetically, to do what Satan did not want to have happen. And that was that he would be crushed. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of how Satan fought throughout the Old Testament to try and thwart God's plan. The first one here in Genesis chapter 16, we're going to read verse 1 and 2, was with Abraham at this time, Abram. This is before God changed his name. But Abram and Sarai, again, before she was Sarah. Verse 1 of chapter 16 says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. You have to remember that at this point it had been promised to Abram and Sarah that they would have not only a child, but that this child will be innumerable in descendants. You know, it's pretty crazy when you're thinking about that, and then, then all of a sudden nothing's happening. First of all, when it was promised, they were already old. Or older, sorry. Older. They weren't old. They were just, yes, okay. But then as time went on, because it was quite a while later, I believe 20 years later, after it was prophesied and told them that they would have a child that would have descendants that would be innumerable like the sand, it was like 20 years later that it finally happened. So you can imagine yourself. I, I know with us, I, it, it's, it's almost tough sometimes to get a prophetic word because we're human, and what's worse than that, we're American. So, so, so we're human, but then Americans have this microwave mentality. It's like somebody's giving me a prophetic word, and I'm just looking at my watch. Okay, well, you're done talking. Nothing's happened yet. What's going on? Right? We look at that, and we have this expectation of now. And, and i gotta, I got to tell you, I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven to get the real meaning of the word soon. <laughs> because that's a word I've, I've learned. I, I don't want to say I hate it, but I hate it. It, it, it's, it's one that my definition, my definition of soon is very different than God's definition of soon, right? But we get this in our mind that this has been prophesied and then it hasn't happened yet. So immediately think, what went wrong? What went wrong? Well, did I do something wrong? Did somebody else do something wrong? Maybe I heard that wrong. Okay, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I, maybe I didn't parse the words correctly. Maybe, maybe what he really meant was that 
kind of through Abram. And I'm just thinking how Sarai would be thinking right now. Well, maybe it wasn't really me. Because, see, technically I have authority over my servant. So really, it's me even if it's through the servant. Okay? Now, to me, I don't know about you, but we do this all the time. Even when we're reading through the Word of God of something we're supposed to do, and, and yet it may not be happening the way we see it, because he wants to build our faith, and all of a sudden we're thinking, well, may, maybe we misunderstood that. You know, I, I think David is a good example of the same thing. You know, he, he was anointed to be king. I think it was also, it was years. I, I, if someone remembers how many years, I, I don't remember how many years, but he was anointed to be king long before he became king. I, I'm almost positive it was about 20 years. Because he, he came into the king's favor because he was best friends with Jonathan and he killed Goliath and all that stuff. He did not become king until much later. But yet he was anointed as basically a 14 or 15 year old boy. Okay? So you can imagine having this information that something's going to happen and it just doesn't. So what happened? You know, and this, this all has to do with our warfare. So what we do, instead of trusting, instead of allowing God to build our faith, we begin to step in and try and fix things. <laughs> well, God, you weren't quite clear enough here. I'm going to go ahead and clear this up for you because, because I, I know you meant to do this. Because certainly you wouldn't want me to, you know, writhe in pain over this, wondering. So, so, so that's why I could see Sarah just saying, well, I have authority over my servant, so why don't you take my ser- servant who will be a surrogate for me? Okay, and then gave her to Abram. Now, the problem here is that he went along with it. I don't know why he went along with it. But in the same respect... So did Adam. In the original sin, Adam went along with it. See, I I think Abram knew better. But yet he made that very same choice. Because he was compared in the same thing. So what did he do? It said, Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. In that moment, when he listened to that voice, he gave authority to the enemy. I want you to understand this because we do it every day. See, Abram had the authority in his life to make choices. And when it was presented to him that something's going wrong because what God promised is not happening, he then took it upon himself to make decisions. Took that out of God's hand. And by that uh, the, the choice of his authority had a choice. When he chose to place his trust in his own reasoning, he gave the authority to the enemy. Because in every occasion, we give our authority out to one of two. We, we don't keep the authority ourselves. Okay? In a decision that we make, we either can give it to the Lord and let him work with it, Here, Lord, I am giving you my yes. That's what it means when it says we give you our yes. It's I am giving you my authority. My authority that you have given me, I give back to you and I say yes. And I choose your way. Or, 
we can try to manipulate the circumstances to make them kind of fit what he said. And what we don't realize is we give the authority to the enemy. And we're going to get into this starting next week about authority and about what that means. Because Revelation uh, 12 verse 10 says that, that he is a roaring lion. He goes about the earth seeking whom he may devour. See, he can't just devour everybody. He cannot automatically devour you. He doesn't have the authority to do that. He didn't have the authority to force Adam to eat that fruit. He had to wait until Adam gave him that authority by eating the fruit, by that sin. So when we do something that is against God's will, even unknowingly, we give authority to the enemy. It doesn't mean we're in agreement with him. Please understand, there's a huge difference. Because, well, I, I, I don't give Satan authority because I, I, you know, I love God and I would never do that. See, it's got nothing to do with love. It's, it's got everything to do with his deceptive powers. He is a deceiver, the Bible says. So when we give authority, oftentimes we have no idea we're giving that authority. And yet then he has authority to come in and do things. What did he do in this case? Wow. I mean, this, this was a world changer. Now he had Ishmael, and, and, and now you have the beginnings of this war that has lasted ever since. From Ishmael's descendants to Isaac's descendants. It didn't have to be that way. But because the authority was given, Adam gave that authority for it to happen, there were consequences of that authority. God had nothing to do with it. God did not make the choice for Abraham. Abraham made that choice all by himself. We make that choice. You make that choice. I make that choice all by ourselves. When we know we're supposed to do something, and we either do it halfway or we don't give them our complete obedience. See, that's our choice. And that's what we choose to do. That's not what the Lord did to us or what Satan did to us. We give that authority. And that's what Abraham did. But there are consequences to doing that. With Abraham's, they were pretty grave. They were pretty huge. With us... They could be huge as well, certainly huge on our own lives, but huge to the lives that we impact or are supposed to impact. I won't have you turn here. I'll just, I'll just tell you about this for, for the sake of time. In Numbers 13, verse 32 and 33, Satan tried to keep Israel out of the promised land. Okay, see, by this time, Satan knew that the Messiah would come through Israel. This people that God chose as his people. This people that God gave the law to. He knew that it was prophesied they would come into their own land. They would be a nation. It started with Abraham. But they would come into their own land and, and they would be a nation before God whose, whose king is God. Right? And, and so they, they held back, or, or when, when they went into 
the first time, when they came out of Egypt, the children of Israel, and they sent 12 spies into the land, what happened? Ten of them came back, and they said that we can't take these guys. They're huge. They're huge. As a matter of fact, you know what? Turn there. I'm sorry. Numbers 13. I want to show you something from last week. Numbers 13, verse 32 and 33. Numbers 13, 32, I'm going to read. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who had come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Now I want you to understand what's going on here for two reasons. One, remember last week we talked about Satan having a strategy to go after the bloodline that would eventually produce the Messiah. He wanted to taint that bloodline, and I'm not going to go over it again. You can pull up last week's if you, if you need to. But that's what happened leading up to the flood. But he said a very interesting saying in there. He said, he said, the Nephilim were there in those days and after. See, they were after the flood too. They did, we know they didn't survive the flood. So what Satan did before, he did after. He did it in different measure because he saw it didn't work. Okay, he tried to destroy man and that wouldn't work. Right, God had a redeemer, a remnant that was redeemed through the flood. But here is where where is an example of that they were later too. See, this word Nephilim is the same. It's the same word as in Genesis six. These were these were hybrids. These weren't normal human beings. These were from their spirit unredeemable. By the way, further proof of that, and again, not to curtail here, but as they went into the promised land, they had to conquer all these different nationalities. The first one was Jericho, right? And as they went in to conquer, you ever wonder, you ever question why God said for a particular place to destroy everything that was in their man, woman, and child? Well, see, a good God wouldn't do that, but he did. And there's a reason for it. Because if you trace, there, it happens seven times. Seven times in the promised land. Each of those seven were traced back to the Nephilim. Okay, again, I don't want to get sidetracked there, but that's something very interesting to understand. There's warfare going on that we don't understand, that we don't know if we're not looking at it, if we're, if we're not looking for it. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And this one was, I could just imagine, was so sad before our father. Israel demands a king. When here God is their king, and God wanted to rule over them, God gave them the law, God gave them everything they needed to have a a successful government, But Israel cries out, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like the rest of the world. See, they all have kings. 
and we want to be like them. Verses 4 through 7 say this, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. I want you to understand what happened in this choice. First of all, God honored their choice. He gave them their choice. And he even honored the very system in which they chose. It wasn't like he said, okay, you want a king, I'll give you a king. And give them this horrible king that would kill them all. He didn't do that. In fact, he said, I have the right king for you. And then they said, well, no, we want him. He's really tall and good looking. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He must be the one. I could just imagine the whole time God saying, if you would just trust me. If you would just trust me. I was to be your king. When they decided and asked for a king and made that choice, they gave authority over to the enemy. They gave authority for the enemy to then have the right to begin infiltrating into their people. See, Satan, he develops layers of authority. And we'll get into this in the coming weeks. Because he, he wants authority over property. He wants authority over the people on the property. And he develops it in such layers to where when you fight something and you get victory over it, you ever come to a point where, where man, you had awesome victory over this thing, where perhaps you had given authority to and, and you gained that back, which again we'll go over in the next few weeks. So why isn't it better? Why isn't it better? I, I feel like I'm fighting the same thing still. That's because Satan layers his authorities. He layers it to mask the very progress that you're making in your lives. As you fight off these authorities, as you re- return the authority of the choices that you make, or perhaps your elders made, he wants to mask that as much as possible. I'm going to read two more verses. Verse 19 and 20. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Again, Samuel told them, okay, you want a king, here's what's going to happen. He's going to take taxes, he's going to do this, he's going to do that, blah, 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 blah. Verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us. And fight our battles. Oh, I just I just know God's heart dropped. See, he wants you to fight your own battles with him. Don't put yourself in a position of such comfort that you feel like there's no there there's everything's being taken care of for you. 
See, that's like Paul says, the milk of the word, and that's not going to the meat of the word. If you're not having trouble facing you in your life, then chances are there's something wrong. And and I'm not talking about trouble because of something that we gave authority to. See, I'm talking about the enemy comes after us, and just like Job, God allows that sometimes to increase our faith and for his glory. I look at my own life, and if, if it weren't for trials in my life, I would, would not have learned the protection of God. I would not have learned the very weapons that we use to fight against the enemy. It was those difficult times that taught me all of that. You know, we, we, we use the, the example of Navy SEALs all the time because I, I just believe that's what our church is. We're, we're trained to be stealth warriors. And, and in that, I don't know if you ever watched a Discovery Channel thing on, on SEAL training. I, any time at all. I've seen that 20 times. Yes, I'll watch it again. I don't know what it is. It's just the coolest thing to me. Oh, they're in pain. Huh? Let me get my ding dong. And I'm kidding. It's so much fun to just watch people in pain when you're not in pain. Sorry, I, I know that's kind of sadistic, isn't it? But bottom line is when they go through this training, they go through literal hell. They go through difficulties that they're going to face on the battlefield. See, the people that put that very program together were people that said, they are going to face this on the battlefield. We need to prepare them for that. They need to go through those things in some measure so that they can be prepared to face it when the enemy is real. See, in training, they could be pulled out if something's going wrong. In training, they can be pushed to a point and then pulled back. And then pushed to a new point and pulled back. And then pushed to that final point that prepares them. But see, when you're on the battlefield, that can't happen. When you're on the battlefield and you're facing a real enemy, if you don't have the training or you don't have the protection, you are in trouble. That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God. See, but you've got to know how to use that armor. It's the training. Just like Navy SEALs, you have to be trained in this warfare. You have to be trained in wielding the very weaponry that you have. Know how to use it. Know the inventory of what it is. Because you have a purpose. And your purpose, sorry to burst your bubble, Your purpose is not just to get through this life. It's not just to get through this life and have some joy, happiness. See, if we're thinking in terms of this life, we've already made the first mistake. You have to be thinking in terms of the next life. You have to be thinking in terms of when we are with Jesus Christ. Because when you do that, everything else begins to fall into perspective. 
Even the thought of these prophecies that it's been ten minutes and it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) See, when we're thinking of the next life with Christ, that takes us out of the very time that constrains us here. And then all of a sudden, okay, well, God's outside of time. So the fact that it hasn't happened yet really doesn't mean anything. I need to be careful to reread into that. I need to just trust he is outside the time and he sees the timing in which is supposed to be perfect. I think of that when we're getting in our building. It's been a year now that the Lord showed us the building that we're getting into and has told us it is ours. In the spirit realm, it's ours. So hold on, let's all go there in spirit. We're waiting for it to manifest in the physical. It's really easy because it hasn't happened yet. It's been a year, hasn't happened yet, and to go back and say, okay, what what did we get wrong? What, What did we misunderstand in this? But I want to caution you not to do that. Think of when we are with Christ in the, in the thousand year reign after this life, when we are with Him, then all that will be understood. I don't understand His timing, but it really doesn't matter. Why? Because I trust Him. And, and He said, that's not what I have to focus on. What do I have to focus on? Intimacy with Him. Matthew 6.33 made it real simple. You know what? All these things swirling around you, all these plans, he's called ignition to seven places in the world. Whew, that could get overwhelming. You know, I, I know we've, we've already started in Nigeria, and obviously we've started here in, in Newark, and, and, and I believe the next one's Germany. And so, I, you know, I, I, I talked to Shannon about Germany, and it, it's like, okay, how do I keep all this straight? Oh, wait, I don't have to. That's right. That's right, all I have to do is focus on Him. All I have to do is I have to be intimate with my Savior, with my best friend, because when I am intimate with Him, He does it. He does it in ways we don't even, can't even fathom. He puts us in contact with people that we never expected. He does it. Not us. Just like Abraham. If Abraham would have just waited would have just waited and trusted God and kept his faith pure in trusting him and not not trying to refigure out what God promised, would have been a very different story. So we trust in these things. We trust in this. Since Jesus came and died, and I am going to, I'm determined I'm going to finish this today. Since Jesus came and died, that was throughout the Old Testament, since Jesus came and died, Satan no longer can try to thwart God's redemptive plan. Why? Because it was done. When Jesus died, he crushed the head of Satan. Well, wait a second. Satan still runs around. How? That's not true. He's still alive. I, I know because he fights me every day. You have to understand that what happens in the spirit world always is there first before it manifests in the physical. It will not manifest in the physical until the end, when Christ comes back. But see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father, it was done. Satan couldn't do anything about it anymore. He couldn't thwart that redemptive plan. Why? Because it happened already. Nothing more needs to happen to redeem mankind than Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. 
Now it's just up to the harvest. It's up to us to accept or reject that. And that's what this time element is about right now. But it was already done. So, so once that was done, Satan had to redirect his focus. Now he tries to thwart or delay Jesus' return as triumphant king. I'm, I'm not going to pull this up for the sake of time, but I want you to write this down. Luke 21, verses 24 to 33. Luke 21, 24 to 33. It is the prophecy of his second coming. It, the king is going to return. He is going to return. Jesus, this time, is going to return as triumphant king. And when that happens, Satan will be defeated. He will be cast for a thousand years away. So, Satan knows this because he reads the, he can see the prophecy. He understands it a lot better than we do. Because he, he sees the realm of the whole thing, right? So now his plan shifted to try to stop what has been prophesied. Well, I, I can't stop the redemption of man now. But you know what? If I could keep the bride all messed up, then at least it'll delay it. At the very least, I can take people with me. You could just imagine his reasoning on this. You know, and, and I'm going to have you write these down. I'm not going to pull them up for the sake of time. But, but Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. See, as the church was birthed, as, as, as God, uh, as Jesus Christ raised from the dead, was with, with man, with his disciples and stuff, was seen by over 500 people for 40 days, and then he, he rose to the Father. He sits right now at the Father. But then... Right after Pentecost, or right at the time of Pentecost, the church was born. The bride of Christ was born. The very thing that was now going to consume the age until the end time now came into effect. So now Satan took his eyes off the Redeemer and he beaded his eyes on the church. The church became his target. The church became his target. Why? This one I am going to have you look up. Sorry. Although by now we should have it memorized. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. <laughs> we should have this memorized, but I'm going to read it to you again. Because this is prophecy. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. In other words, the world. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. See, this is a prophecy of the end times of the, of the world, this global world before the rapture. Because the rapture comes in verse 10. So before the rapture, this world is going to look at the bride of Christ at the church and, and literally honor them. In other words, the, the, the sense of the Greek there is, I wish I was them. I want to be like them. In all of history, the world's never done that, ever. See, because right away, they were under persecution. Immediately, and you can write this down, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, immediately Satan took a tool by the name of Saul. 
And he went after the church. He went after them to kill him. He killed Stephen. That was his predominating act, or predominant act that brought him to power. Then the high priest said, yeah, you go after him. You go after all of them. And so when he was going to Damascus, the Lord said, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. I have a very different plan. And the Lord met him on the road to Damascus. But see, something we don't realize, do you know Paul had a choice there? Paul could have said, no, I don't believe that you're God. See, the Lord did not just change his mind. And all of a sudden now, Paul or Saul, who became Paul, is now my little puppet Paul. <laughs> he didn't do that. Saul, at that point, had a choice. But see, it also shows the indication of Saul's heart. Saul really believed that what Christians were saying were against God. And so God said, i, I got to show him the truth. And that's why he met him on the road to Damascus. But you have to understand that Satan tried to destroy the church early on. Early on, before it even got, got tracking, he tried to destroy it. And he's done that ever since. Why? Because he knows if he could keep the church down, then Revelation 3 verse 9 will never happen. If he could keep the church down, he could at least delay that because he knows what systematically comes after that. Why? Because you know what? As soon as the rapture happens, it's like clockwork after that. When the day of the, or when the number of the Gentile is complete, all those who are, who are foreordained to, to accept Jesus Christ have done that, and he comes and the world has honored them, he will come and he will take them home. That in and of itself will create such chaos. But not only that, but the Holy Spirit is then taken off the earth. Full authority and full reign is given to the enemy. So he knows that's coming. When, when that full reign is given, his time is really short. If you read in the middle of, of, uh, of Revelation, it talks in the tribulation how he, he just starts to, the, the Greek there makes it feel like he's getting antsy. Like, like you get nervous when you find you're running out of time, right? Like, I don't have any more time left. I, you know, and you just start going crazy. That's what he does three and a half years into the tribulation. That's what it says. Read it. So he knows that right now to delay that from happening, because he sees his end, he knows God is true. He knows it will be as God says. So the best he can do is delay it. So he comes after the church. He goes after the church any, any way he can. Satan continues to try to stop what God has prophesied. What's been prophesied in your own life? So you've got to remember, you're not the only one that heard it. What about what Jesus tells you through Scripture? You're not the only one that read it. See, Satan knows too. And if he sees that you have capability, which all of us do, by the way, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you have capability of being an effective testimony. 
So then all Satan can do is begin to try and stop your testimony. Stop your voice from having any power. You, you, ever, you ever have a time when you're so wrapped up in your own life that you can't see what God's doing in it? It's because the enemy has come in and gained authority to blind you from it. That's what this warfare is about because we don't have to let him do that. But the warfare is real. Satan goes after you because you may be a great effect on other people coming to know the Lord or to grow in him. But what if Satan keeps you silent? Then he can delay it. If he keeps you silent, he keeps you without joy, without peace, without patience, without all the fruits of the Spirit. He has victory in you, even though he can't do anything to your soul, to your spirit. Your spirit is sealed by the Holy Spirit, when you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He can't do a thing about that. Just like he can't do a thing about the fact that the redemption is already done. He can't undo the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Satan can't do anything about it. All he can do now is go into the bride of Christ and wreak whatever havoc he can and delay whatever he can. And it's the very same with us. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, he can't take that away from you. But he could take your joy. He could take your effectiveness. He can remove the very calling that God has on your life. And I don't mean remove it like God removed it. I mean to make it seem like you're not called at all. That's a lie. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you have a calling. You have a reason for being here. You have a reason for having an effect on other people. And he wants you to trust him and give the authority to God. You're going to give it to one or the other. All you can do is make choice. We talked about that last week. We're set up to make choices. It's not a third choice. It's not, well, not God's camp or Satan's camp. I'm, I'm going to have my own camp. No, we don't have our own camp. We, we simply make choices. God wants you to give that authority to him. And what you're going to yield from doing that is love, joy, peace, patience, all of the fruits of the Spirit. That's what he wants from you. Next week, we're going to begin talking about how we do that talking about, you know, we, we've gone through the history and I, I made it, we're done. Made it through the history. Next week we're going to begin talking about, okay, so we've established that there's warfare, we've established how Satan gains this authority, but how do we get it back? How do we even give it by accident? And when we've given it, how do we get it back? How do we, how do we intercede and fight for others? in going after the authority that they've given. How do we do that? We're going to begin to go through that next week. So I'll bow your heads.